Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that gets you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle industry right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. I'm Dale Spangler. And this week, our guest is professional off-road racer for the Factory One Sherco team, Cooper Abbott. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. Moto America is the home of AMA Superbike and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series with some of the best motorcycle racing on two wheels. Rewatch every round of the 2022 series and catch all the action from each race with the Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. Look for a complete 2023 schedule coming soon at MotoAmerica.com. And be sure to follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real time series updates. Dave, how was your weekend? What did you get up to? Anything fun this past weekend um, out here in Boise? I don't know what it is. I, f- I swear we went from the hottest summer on record in August to all of a sudden we're in 70s and cold in the mornings. So the one I've been riding the last couple of weeks, it's already damn cold in the morning. So I'm kind of on the hunt for some uh, cold weather riding gear and maybe even some heated gear. Any suggestions? You uh, ridden with that stuff at all? Actually, I have not. I'm a kind of fair weather rider myself. I've just been busy <laughs> yeah. with when the weather gets cold here in Ohio. I start working on bike projects and I've got two of them cooking right now. So it was a weekend of fabricating and figuring and calculating in my garage. So, uh, but no off road riding. Unfortunately, I would have liked to, but uh, just wasn't in the cars this weekend. Yeah, I've been, uh, I, I would say I'm a fair weather rider too, for sure. But I kind of want to change that this year. I want to see if I can kind of extend my you know, riding scenes a little bit more. So I've been looking at some of these heated gloves and heated vests and and pants and all that kind of stuff. Cause really here in Boise, like if it's, you know, it's dry most of the time, it doesn't really snow that often. So as long as the ground's not too frozen, I can pretty much ride year round. So doing a little research on it. So if any of our listeners out there have any suggestions, let us know what you've used, but yeah. So kind of on the hunt for that and and trying to go out. I'm actually going to go, when we're done recording this, go for a little ride myself and get out and explore more. Just trying to get out more and clear the head. Like as we've talked about before, Dave, it's just, I don't think there's anything better for clearing your head out. It's just getting out, even if it's for a half an hour, just something to get out and spend some miles. Yeah, I think that's the thing about motorcycling and that I've always preferred is you're singularly focused. You know, you can't be thinking about other things. You got to be in the moment and focusing on the riding because otherwise things can get a little hairy out there with uh, the advent of cell phones and things like that, distracted drivers. And, uh, you know, you got to really pay attention. So it's one of the things I really like about getting on the street anyway. And off-road riding has its own version of that where you have to concentrate on every obstacle. And I think uh, our interview today, we're going to hear a lot of that from uh, from Cooper Abbott about uh, concentrating on the obstacles in front of you. 
Yeah, looking forward to talking with him. I know his dad's obviously a pretty, you know, pretty big name in the industry too, Destry Abbott. So it'll be fun to kind of hear from another rider, kind of like we heard with, you know, from Preston Campbell, you know, talking to him about his dad, Johnny Campbell, who's another off-road legend. So it'll be fun, you know, another second generation racer who's had a good amount of success in uh, in off-road racing. But uh, I think probably the biggest thing though for this weekend coming up is the World Supercross Series kicking off. So many questions. It is kind of starting to come together a little bit. But um, yeah, I think there's been a lot of shuffling of riders. For example, I just read where um, Colt Nichols is now potentially going to pull out of World, World Supercross and potentially take Ken Roxon's seat at Factory Honda and ride the U.S. Series. So there's all kinds of craziness going on as a result of this World Supercross Series starting this weekend in Cardiff and Wales, I think, in the U.K. So going to be pretty interesting. Any predictions for you, though? Uh, I've kind of made my predictions and it's really out of left field and a lot of people kind of look at me funny, but when I look at the talent on the track or the people that have committed and signed up to this, uh, to this thing so far, cause there seems to be a lot of drama with that, uh, in itself, you know, here we are, what, five days away from the gate drop and there's some teams that are still forming, which is really unheard of. But anyway, uh, be that as it may. I'm putting my money on Vince Freezy. Oh, way. <laughs> only because only because the races are short and there's only two rounds. Uh, there's not three rounds like they had originally scheduled. And if it's short races with a lot of aggression, kind of a semi-arena cross, my money's on a guy like him who starts strong and isn't afraid to throw elbows. Anything, you know, can happen. But uh, I don't know. I just... I just got this funny feeling about Vince. I could have just jinxed him and totally destroyed his season. But, uh, you know, who knows? If Kenny Roxon is, uh, you know, as we, as we know, probably the most talented rider that's signed up to do this, next to maybe Tomac, who's supposed to do, I think, one round. Yeah, obviously, Roxon's probably the horse to pick. So, I don't know. What do you what do you think, Dale? Who, who do you got? I hadn't even thought of, like, Vince Rees, but you're right. He's such a good starter. And last year, when he was on the rounds that he rode on 450, I mean, he was in there battling in top with, you know, top fives a lot of times. Didn't necessarily place there, but he had the speed to run up there. And so that's a pretty good call. But again, it's pretty hard to vote, you know, bet against Roxin or Tomac for this opening round. Of course, Tomac is just a wild card, so he's not in it for the two-race title. But another rider that, to me, comes to mind and always good overseas is Justin Brayton. Another good starter. Seems like for some reason he just rides differently in those overseas races. And then a couple other names that I think that I saw that I think could be wild cards for podiums is Shane Racklerath and uh, Joey Savacci. And beyond that, it's a lot of privateers, which I'm kind of stoked about seeing so many more privateers get a chance to ride, you know, pick up these seats. Riders like Ryan Brees and Grant Harlan, who were a lot of times struggling privateers, actually have a seat with these teams. So pretty cool. I think we will see some surprise names in there. Of course, we've got the uh, the senior contingent. You know, of course, they'd probably be pissed to hear me say that. But Chad Reed and Josh Grant seem like they're holding it down for the the plus thirty and plus forty year old riders, eh? <laughs> yeah, as, uh, along with Brayton. You know, he's, yeah, he's that's uh, true. those are definitely the uh, what you call the old guard out there. And uh, it's cool to see. I'm I'm really curious to see how this gels against the other series that are out there and how this is going to work in the end. And is it going to be as grand as it's being promoted as? I guess. And I'm trying not to be cynical, but yeah, um, hard not to be because it is a it is a big deal. But uh, it's formatted very similar to uh, MXGP with the team structure, and you have to field the four riders on the track. Otherwise, it, it'll be interesting. It really will. Um, it's at least racing in October, so uh, 
as you and I know, that's something we don't always get this time of year. So yeah. got to be happy about that, right? So October and November, we'll have uh, actually get to see some Supercross. Yeah, totally new kind of uncharted territory for us. Of course, October 1st now is sort of the unofficial kickoff to a lot of these new riders' contracts. And so we're seeing stuff starting to drop. Um, of course, with, you know, rocks and departing factory Honda in the U.S. to ride for the World Supercross Honda Genuine Honda team. And I think he's joined by Dean Wilson, another rider. So he's leaving uh, Rockstar Husqvarna, which I believe Christian Craig's going to take that seat, who I also saw just sign with Fox Racing. So there's all this kind of cool, exciting stuff going on right now with the uh, silly season in full swing. And this World Supercross really kind of threw a wrench in all that, I feel like, too, because now it's just a little bit chaotic with, you know, who's going where. And like I was mentioning, the Colt Nichols thing where he was already signed up for World Supercross, and then he's now he's pulling out and supposedly going back to U.S. Supercross. Of course, we haven't seen the full announcements yet, but that seems to be what's happening. So. Yeah, weird silly season this year. A lot of strange stuff going on. And I did notice that it seems like a new trend this year. And I don't know if Husqvarna started this or what, but riders apparently get a press release when they're departing a team and they get a new press release when they sign up for a new team. So they get a welcome and they get an exit press release. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how that plays out in, in the world now because uh, it used to be pretty cut and dry, but uh, now it's uh, it's kind of all over the place. And uh, it'll be interesting to see who ends up where, because I think over the course of the next week, when things settle in and this event takes place, we're going to know who's going to be where when the gates drop at, at Anaheim, because one's going to affect the other. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I think we're going to really see, you know, where their sort of uh, allegiance is as far as the series, too. Like, either you're, you're on the World Supercross bandwagon or you're kind of staying U.S. Like, we haven't heard anything about riders like Jason Anderson and some of these other guys, you know, that are, to me, could potentially have gone to that World Series. But obviously, their contractors are with, like, say, Kawasaki USA, so he probably has to stay in the U.S. Series. So, yeah, really kind of making some strange, I guess, uncertainties at this moment, but... um I guess we'll really know, won't truly know until everybody lines up for A1 in January as to where everybody really lands and ends up for the year. Yeah, for sure. And it was interesting when Roxon made his announcement and Honda came out and uh, basically said they don't support this series. So therefore, our riders won't be on the gate for this series. So I wonder if Kawasaki's done the same thing, just hasn't come out and said it publicly to where they've kind of discouraged their riders to go. So Anderson's going to stay. And as you know, uh, Savachi, I think you mentioned him earlier, ended up on another team so he could race his World Supercross, make some money, and uh, move on with life. But uh, where is he going to be come come early January in the AMA series? Nobody knows at this point. So, oh, well, I'm sure there are people that know and they're going to claim on the internet, but uh, I don't know. We're going to wait and see how that plays out. But uh, kind of connected to Supercross, something kind of came across that I saw on social media, and there was some some discussion and arguments and two sides of it. And I kind of wanted to pick your brain and get your thoughts, but uh, what, what would you think about a spec tire for Supercross? And kind of hear me out. I know it's been something that's been done in other racing series, uh, such as MotoGP. They did it, I think, basically to help develop the bikes and get the tires in alignment with the horsepower they were making. But uh, as a way to control the track degradation to where they get deep ruts and kind of level the playing field for all the racers, kind of like what MXGP did with the starting gate. You know, they standardized to a steel grid, so everybody starts on the same type of surface. This would be kind of the same idea. A spec tire would kind of control that aspect of things. And you've raced Supercross, Dale, so so you're the guy I lean on in uh, <laughs> these kind of subjects. What would you think about that? Well, I think my my opinion on that, I think it's more difficult in Supercross and Motocross just because there's so many more variables where 
you know, the rider skill does make a bit much more of a difference as opposed to say like an auto racing where obviously, you know, the skill of the driver makes a difference, but I've seen what it's done in MotoGP and Formula One where they've kind of tried to implement some of these these more, I guess, structured rules so that it is more level playing field. And in the case of Formula One, I think it's actually made the racing better. They're having more passing. MotoGP, we've kind of seen the opposite where we've got this Ducati like runaway season where like the other brands don't seem to be able to be on the same par with them, I think because of aerodynamics. And so to me, like a, a tire, I think would be a pretty cool idea, though, to try and implement for Supercross and Motocross. Because like you said, it's going to hopefully level the playing field a little bit because let's face it, these factory riders get these tires that pretty much no one else can buy. In a lot of cases, they're one off. Um, and so I think it would be nice for everybody to, to be able to have that same level playing field, kind of like a Formula One. Maybe it's three tire choices. You get a, you, know, you get a soft, a medium and a hard. And then those are your choices for the race. And so I think it would be interesting to try and implement something like that. Yeah, they successfully did it in uh, in off-road racing in Europe. In basically ISDT competition, they have to run a very specific knob height spec tire. And they do that mainly to control tearing up the land because of the restrictions they have in Europe. So it's kind of that same idea to where you could reduce the number of ruts. Maybe the breakdown of the whoops doesn't happen as quickly. All of those things could kind of roll together. You know, in the combination with the bikes are just making insane horsepower. A 250F makes over 50 horsepower now, which is just a threshold I thought they'd never hit. Yeah. And my 2019 KX450 makes about 52 horsepower. So it just kind of shows you that, you know, what kind of situation they're dealing with with these bikes and, and tires and trying to hook up and not destroy the track and get through an evening program and have a decent racing surface. So I just thought it was an interesting subject. And, uh, I don't know if it'll go anywhere. I just thought it was pretty cool to talk about because, uh, boy, if that ever hit uh, Supercross, that would be pretty interesting to see. Yeah, I could see it potentially happening. Usually when there's money involved, things start to happen a little quicker. And so, like, if if all of a sudden somebody, you know, Dunlop or somebody said, you know, we want to be the spec tire of this series, I guarantee, and they paid him a bunch of money, it probably would happen. There you, you know? go. <laughs> so they probably, they probably would be willing to, you know, take that on a little easier if there was some money involved. And I think it would be cool for the racers too, because it would take that out of the equation where maybe you get three tires per race and that's what every rider gets that makes the 40 rider night show or something. So I think it's a cool idea. Might have to plant that seed in somebody like Mathis's head because he seems to have the connections. <laughs> yeah, if he says it, it, it becomes so, right? Exactly. Well, and, and then you just think about other things like MotoGP regulates engines. Each engine has to last so many uh, events or amount of time or miles, I forget which, but they could do those kind of things. And, and that kind of lowers the threshold and the demand on the engine to the point where the engineers have to design an engine package that can survive. And it's not an all-out horsepower war. So it seems to me that would be something that would help the 250 series to get the bikes more under control because the difference between the, the bike that wins in a supercross or motocross race and an average privateer is tremendously different. Uh, horsepower. And that engine's ready to explode by the end of two motos. It's uh, pretty much ready to be rebuilt at that point because of the kind of power they make. So just thinking out loud, where does it end if they go to spec tires? Does it go to engine regulations and then uh, monitoring and, and controlling the electronics so that you can only have certain fuel and ignition maps in the engine? So asked a lot of questions. If uh, if they were to go down that path, would it lead to other things? Yeah, I think it comes back to the money. You know, if there was a little more money, maybe I think stuff like that might happen, but it might just make it more difficult because it's already tough enough for our privateers, as we know. And so hopefully, uh, yeah, like I said, this World Supercross, to me, to go back to that, it's just opening a lot of doors for a lot of racers, being able to extend their careers and 
and make a decent living because let's face it, a lot of them don't make enough money for the risk they're taking on. We'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto, Factory One, Sherco Endurocross, and Hard Enduro Racer, Cooper Abbott. Cooper, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing good. Uh, how are you guys doing? Doing awesome. Uh, nice fall day here. So let's talk a little bit about your season so far. So you signed with the uh, you know the Factory Sherco team this year after, I believe it was four years with RPM KTM. And uh, we're three rounds into the Endurocross series, and you're sitting fifth in that. And you ended up fifth overall in the uh, U.S. Hard Enduro Series. So how, how would you kind of uh, rate your, your season so far this year? Yeah, no, it's been good. Uh, first year with the Factory One Sherco team, is, uh, it's been going pretty smooth so far. Hard Enduro was able to uh, pull off two podiums there, which is uh, the first time I've ever gotten on a podium. So that was nice. And uh, Endurocross has been off to uh, an okay start, a little up and down. And man, it just seems like every every round I've had one bad moto, which has uh, messed up my overall. So just uh, got to get rid of that one bad moto and uh, we'll be in a better spot. Yeah, speaking of Endurocross, it seems like this year's series, I don't think we've seen that much parity in, in quite a while to where we're three rounds in, we have three different winners. It seems like it's hard for riders to even stay consistent between the three motos, you know, three main events to where it's kind of been wild this year. Yeah, it's uh, it's been pretty insane, actually. Uh, you make one little mistake and you go from third to 10th. So definitely having to be on your A game and uh, try to get off to some good starts definitely helps. So uh, try to get more up front at these uh, next coming rounds and hopefully uh, put it up on the podium for these next three. Yeah, for sure. And we're definitely going to be watching. And uh, it's it's exciting for me to see Enduro Cross now because it seems like it's evolved to the point where it's almost like Supercross in a way because you've got guys like yourself, the young guys who aren't afraid to send it on some of the big stuff. And it just it seems like it's evolved that way. You've got some of the old guard guys, the webs, the walkers against you guys, you know, the hearts, the bonds and, and yourself. What do you think about that, you know, as the series develops? Is it, has it been like that? Have you seen a big separation now between the young and the old guys and kind of the obstacles in combination? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I'm starting to, feels like I'm getting more to the middle-aged guys, but I'm still am a little closer to the younger guys. But uh, the older guys like Colton, Cody, uh, Taddy, and Johnny, I mean, they have that experience where they've been through every situation where us young guys are, we're, we're fast, but we do still make some, some dumb mistakes that they've been through that. So just got to try to learn from those guys and uh, see what they do as they've, uh, they've been around for a little while and they know what they're doing. Yeah. It's so cool for me to see guys like Taddy out there and, and uh, still, you know, being so competitive amongst some of you fast young guys. And uh, it makes me want to wonder, I know, I know you're on the two stroke for this year and uh, there seems to be a mix in that pro class of some four stroke, some two stroke. Is there a reason why one rider re- leans one way or the other, or is that your preference? Just stick with the two-stroke, and it gives you everything you need. Or yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it really depends on what manufacturer you're on. Uh, I know, like Johnny Walker on the Beta, he's on the two-stroke, and then most of the KTM gas, gas husky guys, they're all on four strokes. And actually, uh, Webb and I switched to the four-stroke for enduro cross, so we're both on four strokes for enduro cross. We'll ride the two-stroke for hard enduro, but the four-stroke's just a little bit easier to ride. With like the beta, I think their four strokes quite a bit heavier than their two strokes. So I think that's why Johnny chooses that. But the four stroke is just more consistent. Uh, the timing with us jumping a little bit more of the obstacles that they put in front of us. 
the timing is just a lot easier to do on the four stroke. Yeah, that was actually something I was going to ask you about too, because with a brand like Sherco, you know, and some of these other brands like Beta and KTM, you have that option to be able to ride a two-stroke or a four-stroke. Whereas I noticed on the hard enduro stuff, the two-stroke seems to be the the bike of choice for those type of events. Whereas like you're saying for the enduro cross, like maybe it's throttle response or whatever, like it's more super crossy. You need that throttle response. The four-stroke seems to be a little better. So what what is it the di- you know the difference between the two for you? Do you have a favorite there between the two and the four-stroke? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you said. I mean, most of us are on two-strokes for hard enduro. The four-stroke would be decent on hard enduro, but it would just overheat too quick. I think that's a really big reason. Um, but they're just a little easier to ride. The lower end of the two-strokes, I mean, you can barely touch the clutch and just climb up mountains with them. Uh, where the four-stroke, you might cough stall or might stall on you and uh, a little bit harder to start after they're hot but with like enduro cross the four strokes like i said with the timing and and starts i mean that's uh that's a big thing on enduro cross we'll get back to the conversation in one moment but first here's a word from our sponsor it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So how did you, uh, I mean, in your career, you were racing the the work series where you won, I think, a Pro 2 title there. And that just seems like such a departure from what you're doing now with the, you know, Duro Cross and these hard Enduro series. Is that just something where you're just kind of were trying to find your place, you know, your specialty area? And and how do you how do you think you kind of sort of landed on this more, uh, I guess it would say trialsy, you know, Enduro, like slower speed sports as opposed to like works is to me is the complete opposite where it's it's really high speeds. And so I'm just kind of wondering how you landed on these two disciplines as your focus. Yeah, definitely. Um, Very different disciplines for sure. I actually grew up riding a lot of motocross just for fun. I didn't plan on trying to go pro in motocross or anything like that. And um, just kind of started riding works as I was growing up. And my sister and I kind of made like a bet one year. I want to say it was like 2013 or 2014 about doing an enduro cross. And I had never done one before, even ridden over a log practically. She talked me into it and I, I don't even remember what the bet was, but I know I lost and I ended up doing one enduro cross and I kind of just got hooked on it and uh, really enjoyed that. And I started doing that and works together and they're just two very different things and works started getting faster and faster each year. And I didn't enjoy going that fast, uh, even though I I did okay at it, but uh, it wasn't the most fun to me. And I got into dirt bikes because I enjoyed it and I wanted to have fun with it. So I figured I'd try to do the more technical stuff because that was what I enjoyed riding the most. And uh, once I put my full focus in that, I was able to evolve with that a little bit better. So kind of with that in mind, when uh, when you when you think about enduro cross or hard enduro, what are some of the tougher obstacles that uh, in your mind when you come up to them that uh, you just go, oh man, here it comes. I got to get through this. If I get through this, the rest of the race is no problem. What, uh, what type of obstacles are those? Mostly for me, I mean, the obstacles are all pretty hard. I mean, it's all the natural terrain, the laid over logs, um, the slick rocks and all that. But I think the hardest thing with Hardenduro is is when it rains. Uh, we have a lot of East Coast slick, muddy races. And being from Arizona, it doesn't rain too often. So trying to get used to that wet stuff is, is hard for me on the Hardenduro stuff. 
Um, the dry ones I'm a little more used to. And I think just the hardest part is the four to six hours is usually what a hardened row is. So having the fitness to try to stay consistent and not make too many mistakes. For an enduro cross, it's complete opposite. I mean, we do three motos of six minutes plus one and it's uh, full out wide open as fast as you can go for that time. And I think the hardest thing with that is the matrix is really tough, but I think almost harder is, is being out there with 16 other guys on a track that's usually less than a minute long. So I, I think that's the toughest part with enduro cross. Yeah, and I honestly had no idea how much banging was going on. I think I was watching Helmet Cam from Max Gersten, I think from Redmond, and uh, there is the first turn. Nothing like Supercross or Motocross. These guys are absolutely body slamming each other to get through that turn. I saw you out there too, and uh, definitely uh, some some banging going on between the riders in that short race. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it gets pretty intense. Uh, it's hard because you're trying to battle the guys, but at the same time, you're also battling the track. Because I mean. There's logs, rocks, wood pit, everything out there. So as much as you want to battle the other guys, you still have to work on getting through each individual section. So I'm curious to know um, your take on this because, I mean, you are one of the younger riders, but I feel like with Endurocross, it's probably been, what, 10 years or so it's been around plus. But when it first started out, I felt like if you had a trials background, you tended to excel at Endurocross. Whereas now we're starting to see some of these racers that are really kind of making a career out of just focused on events like enduro cross and hard enduro and they're they're growing up riding this type of discipline like a rider like rider leblanc for example i'm pretty sure like that's pretty much all he's done is you know race these hard enduros and enduro cross so it's kind of like a changing of the guard as to this sport would you say that's that's kind of the case like you have to be more of a specialist now i think absolutely i think now that it's become so more mainstream people are more putting their focus on that at a younger age and I mean, I think Ryder's one of the youngest ones where I know, like, I think he almost got on a podium when he was like 16 at a hardened draw. Where I mean, I just started riding hardened draw, I think, at like 22. So I think with them starting so young, I mean, it is definitely helping with like the hardened draw and, and focusing on enduro cross. But at the same time, I think having a trials background is massive. I know like Ryder didn't have a lot of trials background, but he now has a trials bike and I know he now practices on it a lot. So, all of us have trials bikes and we all know that's a big focal point with uh, racing hard enduro and enduro cross. So I think we're trying to put a focus on that, but the speeds are so fast that now you do have to be really, I think, well-rounded to uh, be able to kind of ride motocross and ride all the different types of stuff to make you good in enduro cross and good in hard enduro. Yeah, that just makes it even more difficult than when I think about it, because like you're saying, you have you still have to be able to jump, almost like have some supercross skills. But we've all seen supercross riders come in and try and race in Dural Cross, and they usually don't have too much success. So that just makes it even more where like it's such a unique skill set for Enduro Cross because you're jumping some pretty, pretty gnarly jumps, but then you also still have to have those trial skills. So it's really is such a unique combination of skills. For sure. Yeah. I mean, if you put Eli Tomac, who absolutely, I mean, pretty much dominated this year is on an enduro cross track, it's, it's different. I mean, he'd go out there and struggle. And, but if you left him out there and gave him a year of practice, I mean, he'd probably do pretty well. It's just getting used to it. I mean, it's like me, I'll mess around on a super cross track here and there, but I get out there and I'm, I'm scared to triple the rhythms or do all that where it's like I get on an enduro cross track and it's just at home for me. So I think it's a lot of it is just what you get used to and kind of what you focused on growing up and 
and riding to where I think if you if you took a guy from each side of the sport and let them focus on that specific thing, I think they could each do pretty well. I think it's just more what we started training on initially. On that subject of training, you live in what I would say is probably like an off-road racer's paradise there in Arizona where you can, you know, live and train year round. You know, what is your, your training regimen like? And you know, like what's a, you know, a week look like for you? Like that, especially like this time of the year when you're, when you're in the, the racing season. So right now with Endurocross, um, I'm three days of riding and three days of gym with uh, Sunday as a break day. I mean, it's not super crazy. In season's a little bit easier, but with Endurocross, I mean, I've been doing a lot of pedaling and stuff on my gym days, but it's just mainly sprints to where when hard enduro comes, we'll do longer two-hour, three-hour bicycle rides. So it varies depending on which, whether we're doing hard enduro and Endurocross, but it pretty much always stays at three days, sometimes four days of riding, and then always three days of gym. Definitely got to keep those uh, reflexes ready for uh, enduro cross because yeah. things come at you quick. Uh, just thinking about uh, just young people who wanted to get into this sport, hard enduro specifically or enduro cross. What's the entry point for young riders? Is it the works events? Is it the off road events? I think about us, me personally, out east. You know, uh, we have GNCC racing as a avenue for young people to kind of get their feet wet into off-road racing and that leads to sprint enduro or you know other things so what's what's the entry point for young people wanting to get into some of the harder disciplines like like you're doing is it is it trials specifically maybe i think trials is definitely a really good starting point i know like hard enduro has now started like a younger class i think it's called like a junior class to try to get people to come in and i i think they've been making a slightly easier course for them they'll do some of the same stuff as us but at least to kind of get them introduced and not just going out there riding exactly what we're on and, and just completely struggling. Cause I mean, they're not going to find the fun in that. So just kind of get, getting introduced into that. And, and I know Endurocross this year started a junior class and, and I know for like the matrix, they'll put out planks and stuff. So they're not riding exactly through the course. It's, it's still a hard course, but I know like this year, I think we've had at each round around three or four mini kids, which in the prior years we never had any. So I think, they're starting to try to make it towards younger kids to where we can bring more up for each series. But, uh, I mean, it's taking time for that still. Yeah, for sure. To grow any sport. That's, uh, but that's how you do it. That's how you build your future and, and grow the sport even larger than, uh, than what it is today. And it's, as Dale said, it's been around 10, 12 years and look how far enduro cross has come. I think it's awesome. And this move to hard enduro is really drawn the world in and people love it. And, uh, it's fun to do. To a point, anyway, <laughs> I call it sanctioned uh, motorcycle abuse. Just thinking out loud, have you gotten out east at all to try any GNCC racing? Because you mentioned about riding in the rain and the snarly mud and the roots, and we've got lots of that if you ever wanted to come back east and do that. Yeah, I've uh, I've done most of the hard enduros on the East Coast, but I've actually never done a GNCC. I, I've tried to the last couple of years, and it just hasn't worked out. I know Shurko and us were talking. I think we were going to try to go do... I want to say it was Ironman next year. Um, we we're going to bring the whole rig out. And I think Cody Webb and I were talking about racing Ironman. So hopefully that all works out because I've always wanted to do a GNCC. I know I'll probably get work, but it would just be fun to get out there and, and try it and, and do something a little different. Now, I'm sure it'd be fun just to experience, like you say, it might be, who knows, it might be three, four hours of pain, but uh, I'm sure it would still be, you know, fun, fun on the bike. But um, I'm curious to know, uh, changing direction slightly 
what is it like? And actually, I, we had recently had Preston Campbell on as a guest, and I asked him this same question because his dad, Johnny Campbell, legendary off-road racer. Same thing for you. Your dad, Destry Abbott, legendary off-road racer. What is it like growing up with a father who's, you know, an off-road legend? And, you know, how has he helped you with your racing career? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely helps. And he's kind of helped me evolve as I, I've grown up riding and stuff. And honestly, I wasn't really too into racing as I was younger. I mean, he was doing it full time. And I actually wanted to go play uh, basketball professionally for a little bit. Uh, I pursued that till I was about like 15 or 16. And then uh, I started kind of finding the fun in dirt bikes. Uh, not that it wasn't fun before, but I think I was a little bit afraid to follow the footsteps of him, I guess. And uh, once I started riding and having fun with it, I started kind of evolving and, and just kind of watching him and trying to learn the correct form. And obviously, every time I rode, he was out there and kind of would help me evolve with my form. And that was one of the biggest things we worked on was just having the correct form. And then obviously, the speed will come after that. So just trying to have fun with it. And that was kind of the whole goal of it. But it definitely does help having it. Amazing having a, a coach like that in your corner, though. It must be super cool to be able to just go out and ride with your dad, and you're both on that same level to where you just you guys just must have a fun time just probably challenging each other and one-upping each other, and I, I can only imagine the fun you guys have. Yeah, no, it, there, was, there was a little bit there where we were really close to the same speed on, on pretty much anything we'd ride, so that was fun for a while, and it was uh, it was nice to surpass him on a, on a few things, so... Uh, it's uh, it took a while, but uh, I uh, I finally got there on on majority of stuff. So uh, it's uh, it's definitely different now. Oh, take my word for it. Dads all know that. They always notice when when the when the young ones uh, do better than them on the motorcycle. Yeah. So one last question here before we start wrapping up here, Cooper, is what's next on your schedule besides enduro cross? Um, I think I saw where you're probably going to participate in the uh, the super FIM super enduro series as well. Yeah, so uh, I've actually uh, always wanted to do the Super Enduros, but I've uh, never been able to as, I mean, going over to Europe is a, is a big thing, so it's not cheap to go over there and race, so uh, for uh, Sherco to allow me to do that after Enduro Cross, um, I think uh, the first round's in Poland, three weeks after the final Enduro Cross round. I don't think the official schedule's been out yet, but I believe it's seven rounds um, in six different countries, so uh It'll uh, be a pretty cool experience. Uh, I've actually never been over to Europe. Uh, I went to South America to Chile for ISDE in 2018, but uh, I've never been over to Europe, so that'll be a pretty cool experience. Yeah, that should be fun for you. If some listeners want to support your racing program, I noticed you got some pretty cool merchandise on on a website, but uh, where can they support you a little bit? Maybe pick up a T-shirt, and where can they follow you online? Yeah, no, I mean, I always appreciate the little support I can get. I mean, every little bit helps, and Shirk is obviously a huge part of that. But if you want to buy any shirts or, or hats, um, it'll be at cooperabbit12.com. And then, uh, yeah, my social medias are all at cooperabbit120, my Instagram, Facebook, and all that stuff. So uh, any support helps, and uh, just uh, try to keep having fun on a dirt bike is the main thing. Well, we wish you nothing but success this year and uh, for the rest of the year, and on into 2023. We really appreciate your time today, Cooper. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I uh, really had a good time and uh, hopefully we can come on again soon.
enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd really appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog, listen to past episodes, and purchase your own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. And I'm Dave Sulecki. See you next week on Pit Pass Moto. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.